Hello and welcome to The Sleeper and the Bust. This is episode number 125. Just want to give a quick shout out before uh, we get into things uh, first to just say real quick, uh, it's obviously it's kind of a devastating news of the loss of, uh, of, of Don Zimmer, great baseball figure, uh, and by many, many accounts, um, quite, a, uh, quite a mentor to a lot of folks in the game uh, and just uh, kind of an all-around good guy, they say. So it's... Uh, Definitely a shame to hear that news. And uh, joining me today is Eno Saris, as always, uh, the bright, witty, and always informative Eno Saris. You're such a kiss-up. You know, <laughs> I did, I'm trying to know, save my job here. <laughs> it's weird for me that, yeah, hopefully hopefully we're coming to you in stereo sound. Um, but um, it's weird for me on Zimmer that the... For me, the iconic memory that I have for Zimmer is is definitely him going after Pedro Martinez. Yeah. And in a way, I think that's just it's a little bit sad because it's it's it was a kind of, he he didn't look great in that moment. He apologized for it. I mean, obviously Pedro had a lot to do with that too, so it's neither of them looked great. It was kind of a cringe type of moment where it was not only was it a fight, but it was like a poorly executed fight, <laughs> and and you know ended up looking like Pedro Martinez shoving an old man to the ground. So you know it was kind of a weird moment, but I think in a way it's kind of cool because he was a quirky dude, and that's a kind of a quirky thing for for a generation of baseball fans to remember him as. Obviously, he was so much more before that, and in the history of the game, he meant a lot to. To you know, mentoring different managers, he was a manager himself, and just as a baseball lifer. But you know, for for a certain generation, he's that quirky old dude that took on Pedro Martinez. And even though there's some sort of cringe factors to that, I actually think, in a way, it's it's kind of a cool story that does kind of help encapsulate a little bit of like, oh yeah, Zimmer, he was a kind of a crazy guy. He's kind of you know intense and and funny and 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 quirky at the same time. And it's kind of a I just thought that was an interesting thing for me. It just occurred to me that, that that's kind of my biggest memory of, of Don Zimmer. But, yeah, rest in peace, and uh, and I, I'm sure he'll be missed. Yeah, for sure. He was a, a one-of-a-kind figure in the game. And um, there's no real way to segue into uh, topics of a fantasy nature other than to get right into them from that. And uh, so we're going to go to the, the Rockies have made a decision uh, to – to juggle the rotation, they brought up prospect Eddie Butler. This is a guy that uh, some fantasy owners have been anticipating his arrival. Uh, needs to be promoted and start on Friday against the Dodgers. And uh, obviously, he's a Rockies pitcher, so folks are automatically going to be a little hesitant. Uh, so what do you think? What do you like about Butler? The the velocity is great. He's got he's got big big-time velocity. I think he sits over 94 He's got a fastball, a slider, uh, in a fastball, a two. You got the four seamer, two seamer, cutter, and the change is plus plus. So he's got a, a great array of pitches. And the only thing that's worrying worrying to some people is that the, the strikeout rate dropped like ten percent, dropped to five per nine in Double A this year, and and that's definitely something to worry about. But from what I've heard, uh, Jason Parks mentioned this. Um, I've heard it in a couple other places is that Eddie Butler was told to work on his curveball and work on his fastball command. That, you know, those are the two. I mean, he does have pretty good natural command, but it was those, those are the two things that they told him to work on. And those two things, you know, if the, if the curveball is your worst pitch, then and you're working on fastball command, that would lead to lower strikeouts. So I think with a sort of explanation in place, we can kind of uh, shrug off the, the low strikeout rate and, and focus on the, the stuff. The only thing that worries me is it's kind of weird that they told him to, to work a curveball in when curveballs don't really work in, in Colorado. But it could be a road pitch for him. could be a show-me pitch for him. doesn't matter to me with a guy that has two fastballs, a cutter, and a change. That's stuff cutting in each direction, uh, different velocities. All of them are supposedly plus. So 
I think he's uh, I think he's a pickup in all leagues, honestly. And I think that pitchers have a have an easier time hitting the ground running because no one's ever seen their stuff. There, uh, no one knows how they're going to sequence things. No one knows, you know, what their best stuff is right away, how it breaks particularly. And I think we've seen tons of young pitchers come in and just take the take the lead by storm. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm picking up Eddie Butler where I can. Well, it's interesting. I mean, um, not to say that I'm totally familiar that I would say it's a bad recommendation because I don't think that at all. I think I'm a little surprised to hear that he is such a uh, that you would say, for instance, that he is in all leagues. And I'm not questioning it because I'm not real familiar with him. I'd be honest, like I knew he was a guy that some I've seen him. I saw him drafted in preseason mixed leagues. And I thought, wow, that's there must be something I'm missing on this guy. Um, but uh, he I mean, he is from everything I've kind of learned since then. He's definitely he's intri- incredibly intriguing. And minor league numbers suggest um, an incredible job at, suppre- at home run suppression. Um, it, the only question, obviously, he didn't pitch at AAA Colorado Springs, so it's not entirely tested in this environment. But overall, if the stuff is really that good, um, he's going to he's going to continue to do a, an above average job, at least uh, relative to how pitchers typically fare in Colorado. You would think, and it sounds like a really intriguing guy. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a sinker. I think that's the. I think it's a plus sinker plus a plus change, that uh, that's that's kind of the missing factor there. Although I did, I'm, I'm looking this up again. I did look up his his ground ball rates. Uh, uh, no, they're plus. The, the only time they haven't been plus is actually this year in Tulsa, uh, in Double A. And you and, and the stuff you talked about could easily also be related to that. Yeah, I, I think so. Curveballs. Curveballs do give you grounders, but they don't give you grounders like change-ups. And, and, and if they're telling him to work on his four-seamer or his two-seamer or whatever, that sort of stuff will will, uh, will even out. And before that, he had ground ball rates 55%, 55%, 69%. So I think uh, you know there's some really – his minor league total is 55%. That's, uh, that's, that's good. That, that may not translate to you know, 55% in the majors – but it should translate to over 50%. And that'll help them suppress some homers in, in Colorado. So, I mean, honestly, it's really hard to have an arsenal that's ready for Colorado. But <laughs> I think it, having your, a change as your, as your plus pitch is probably the best way to go about it. From what I hear, the breakers have a harder time breaking there and um, in, the, in the air and the altitude. So uh, I'll take a change. And, and plus velocity plays anywhere pretty much. So... At least in the short term. I mean, it, this kind of stuff, I think, rolls up on you in, in Colorado. And, you know, there's a source of a uh, uh, real home field advantage for the Denver Nuggets, just to switch sports for a second, where on the second night of back-to-backs, the Denver Nuggets have the biggest home field advantage in sports because anybody who played the night before and then wake up in Colorado had a real hard time um, just, I think it's oxygen thing, and you know, you know all the all the um, marathon runners train in high altitude, so it's like about recovery and, and, and stuff like that. So I feel like uh, you know, over time there might be some effect on Colorado pitchers. We have never seen a Colorado pitcher age gracefully. <laughs> uh, that is true. I'd add Eddie Butler and sell him in a couple of years. <laughs> That is definitely true, and um, the unfortunate thing about Butler's skills uh, are that uh, he can't hit three twenty-five with thirty home runs and steal twenty bases, <laughs> um, and neither can Carlos Gonzalez as long as he's not in the lineup, which he is once again not because he's on the disabled list with inflammation in his left index finger. Obviously, this creates an opportunity in the outfield, which is uh, kind of exciting. Uh, but uh, again, this, and this has kind of been a lingering thing. So, how do you see it playing out uh, for the Rockies' outfield? It's that same. It's that same finger that he he dealt with in the off season. Decided not to have surgery, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's 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 kind of uh, annoying. You know, he kind of wished that he would dealt with that, and you know, it, it sucks because the the Rockies are sort of on that cusp. And I think we talked about it maybe with Jason earlier in the season. We talked about how while the Rockies are in it. You know he'll probably just miss a game here or there, and and um, and uh, still manage to stay stay in the in the in the lineup. But the, the Rockies have hit a kind of a stretch, 
Uh, they're about to maybe get swept tonight by the Diamondbacks. Their, their playoff odds are down to around 10%, 12%. And, uh, you know, if he if he stays on the DL and their their playoff odds are down to five percent by the time he wants to come off, I think, you know, by the time he feels a little bit better, I feel like it could easily be uh, surgery time. And it is kind of annoying that this has been such an ongoing thing and that they seem to be kind of adding up. I'm looking at this history and there's lots of playing time missed uh, fingers last year, about a month uh, thigh wrist, uh, and there's lots of days here or there, big wrist fracture back in the day. So I, I'm not going to call him injury-prone yet, but it's seeming that way. Yeah, I mean, I think it, you have to wonder if it's, like you said, if it's more of a case of, I mean, not nipping th- certain things in the bud. Um, as, and, and uh, I mean, there's there obviously comes a point where willingness to play through something is uh, unproductive or... Uh, yeah. certainly it certainly is not valuable and I think that that's I mean it seems to be often the case in, in cargos and uh, I mean obviously Corey this is a good opportunity for Corey Dickerson I would imagine um, I mean I, I guess it I, I, how long would a surgery on something like this I would imagine not long like in terms of you know maybe it's a month and a half at the most that surgery on something like this would uh, keep but him if, out. If it was, then why didn't he just do it in the offseason? Right. I mean, yeah, that's true. I don't know. But I guess, yeah, I, I think, you know, yeah, six to eight weeks is my guess. I mean, it, it's a ligament issue. It's not, it's probably not as complicated as a wrist fracture or something like that. So, and it just, uh, I mean, so in that case, you could be looking at a, a, a potentially nice addition i guess even in, in deeper mixed leagues for some of uh, some of the guys who are going to benefit from uh, playing time wise so just something to keep in mind uh, it's not although it's obviously it's far from a certainty yet but uh, and also it's um another kind of a recurrence of an injury it appears with jed jed jerko is uh a recurrence well, just, a, just a second on Corey dickerson before we move on sure uh, you know he's he is exciting and he does have power and a little bit of speed and right now, a 400 Babbitt makes everything um, hum along nicely. But um, the only the only caution I would have, and I, I don't know if I've seen this a lot, is that I'm pretty sure he's going to have some platoon splits. He's a he's a left lefty batter, and in the minor leagues, he against righties he had a nine percent walk rate and a seventeen percent strikeout rate, and against lefties he had a six percent walk rate and a twenty two percent strikeout rate. So, you know, it didn't really work out uh, to be that big of a difference, his OPS. So his OPS splits look fine. But when I see that sort of, especially when it goes, I mean, when you're talking about 9 and 17%, you're talking about above average walk rate, above average strikeout rate. And when you're talking about 6 and 22, you're talking about a below average walk rate and a below average strikeout rate. So, you know, that's a, that seems to me like both things got significantly worse when you face lefties. Uh, and there's a with the sort of outfield personnel that they have on the Rockies, there's a big chance he gets platoon. I mean, Stubbs Stubbs is a is a righty, um, you know, and I think uh, they've got enough outfielders where they can they can sit him. So, you know, two thirds playing time, better in daily leagues uh, where you can slot him in and out. Good fourth fifth. I mean, good extra outfielder. Um, definitely more playing time. Definitely interesting, not worth trading for, I don't think. Right, yeah, no, that's that definitely is a sound recommendation. Uh, and and uh, so, as we were getting to there with, uh, with the Padres, Jed Jerko, um, plantar fasciitis appears to have uh, recurred with him, or at least he's feeling some discomfort related to. Uh, and this is, obviously, this is kind of discouraging, and um, he's already kind of sucked for a good portion of the season anyway, so... Um, at this point, I mean, it's it's heading toward what seems like a lost season for him. Uh, it's, I don't I don't want to call it that yet, but uh, uh, what is your take on the outlook for Jerko? He had a bit of bit of a tough start last year. It wasn't you know, his his greatness last year wasn't uh, immediate, but it's hard to find the good in, in what he's doing right now. His Batted ball distance is 142nd, uh, right ahead of Nick Swisher 
and Pablo Sandoval, who've both been struggling himself. But, you know, he's also right there with Brian Dozier, and Brian Dozier has managed to turn that same batted ball distance into uh, into a, a much better um, much better results. But they have very different angles. Uh, Brian Dozier's is much more power-friendly. Jerko's kind of hitting into the ground a little bit. You can see that with his ground ball rate. Um, you know, he's hitting more grounders and flies for the first time this year. So, I don't know. There's something going on there. Could You could call it second-year adjustments. One thing that I that I wasn't happy about, a little bit more than the power, because it's really hard to know what's happening with power, is that I don't really like that his play discipline stats didn't get any better. Judging from his minor league experience, you could have thought that his walk rate would get better and his strikeout rate would get better. And instead, the swing strike rate got a little bit better, but his strikeout rate didn't get better. His walk rate got worse. And, you know, especially in on-base percentage league, I thought there would be a lot more upside there for on-base percentage leagues. And maybe there's still some long-term, but, you know, I, I, I turfed him in a, uh, I think it was a 15-team league uh, on-base percentage keeper, which is the kind of league where you need a guy like Jericho. I, I traded him away for, for Dan Murphy, and I added added to him to, to get Dan Murphy. So I feel like, you know, I'm not that excited about Jericho anymore. <laughs> I don't know that I ever was. I thought he could be like a good power guy with, you know, if he, you know, kind of a Dan Ugla type maybe. But um, right now I, I don't know if he'll even have Dan Ugla's on base percentages. Yeah, and it's what's well, interesting to me, like his um, his swinging strike rate. I mean, just in general, his swing rate uh, and things like. I mean, they had all gone down a bit, uh, and so that he's striking out a little, even a little more often than he was last season. Is he just not? I mean, is he is he is something at the plate affecting him, or is he taking too many pitches, or something of that nature? But it's but it's not showing up in his walk rate. So it's, I don't, I am not sure how necessarily to interpret that. But uh, I think I mean he's never a player that was truly exciting to me. I think quite like I don't want to say the crowd, but uh, certainly a lot of other folks. But I was I mean I was mildly optimistic that uh, I mean this was a twenty home run player, and uh, but uh, of course you have to get hits, uh, home runs are hits, and he's not getting many of those. Uh, it's just it, it is disappointing, and it's, um, uh, I, I think when you when he's dealing with these health problems, it's hard to know how much of uh, how much we're seeing of the real Jericho as opposed to um, the the affected Jericho. And uh, yeah, it's yeah, just... I want to say I want to say that plantar fasciitis is not a big deal, but um, we saw what how it kind of affected Albert Pujols, so. right? You know that was that was a really bad year when his when his um, his plantar fasciitis was was uh, was bad. Yeah, and and I you know honestly I hadn't even really heard about it, so I, somehow I missed that he was dealing with that. He ended up twentieth on our second base rankings, and um, and twenty second in mine. I put Jed Lowry ahead of him. Jed Lowry ended up consensus behind him. But you know uh, here's some guys I I had Jorko at twenty second. Here's some guys rated behind him that I might consider now rating ahead of him. Uh, Colton Wong at 24. Yeah, I think I'd rather have Colton Wong right now, knowing a little bit more about Jerko's foot. Um, uh, Omar Infante, I don't know. Uh, Odor. Odor, I might take over Jerko at this point because Odor has a little bit of speed to add to his power, and if they're both going to hit for bad averages, I'd rather have Odor. Um, you know, would I go as far as taking Dustin Ackley over Jerko? Scooter Jeanette, I don't think so. That's I, I still draw the line there. So Jerko to me is still like a top 25, 26 guy, but um, you know, definitely dropped a little bit with that news for me. Yeah. That is totally understandable. Um, and speaking of understandable, if a guy's uh, worth in the face of his damage created here is uh, is really declining in uh, his fantasy owners' eyes is. Uh, performance recently of Joe Nathan, uh, who received that, uh, I don't want to call it a dreaded uh, vote of confidence in the case of Joe Nathan, but uh, at this point, I'm not sure if we can't start to look at it that way, because, I mean, he has just been repeatedly awful. I mean, it seemed like he had worked through some issues uh, from early in the season uh, and had a, a few a stretch of a few good appearances, uh, converted a number of saves. I don't think he's blown many saves this year, but has just been all around bad uh, and uh, at this point, I mean, there's even, you know, uh, obviously if they're answering questions about 
who's going to, you know, if whether he's going to continue to to perform in that role. Uh, there eventually, you know, there's it's the where if there's smoke, there's fire thing. So, uh, do you think that there's a potential change down the road? I'm not sure. The I saw someone on the internet. I, you know, I follow like 1,500 people, so who <laughs> sure was anymore? I saw someone say that he had about the same velocity as he had last year, but that's not true. He's down at almost a full mile per hour from last year. Um, he's averaging 91 and a half. It's the worst of his career, and that's significant. I think when just two, three years ago he was a 94, 93. So. Um, you know, his velocity is down, I would say. And, uh, you know, you can see in the peripherals, he's got the, the worst swing strike rate of his career. And, um, you know, one of the lesser ground ball rates of his career. So his stuff is reduced. He's 38, 30, he's 40, he's 39 years old. (laughs) (laughs) I knew you had the average of it. Correct. (laughs) but uh yeah good math skills (laughs) so you know this is what happens to older relievers at the same time i don't think that java chamberlain is is knocking the door down their sort of closer of the future capital c capital f is on the on the schneid for the year uh and you know java chamberlain well he did recover and the numbers look nice but you know they need relievers all up and down that lineup. So I think that if, if anything does happen, it could be a trade. Um, you know, there's a, at least some likelihood that Houston Street is available. Um, I was talking to Steve Sishek on, on, online earlier today, but people were like, you know, the Marlins want the moon for their relievers. So they did trade away an actual first baseman for a reliever. So they seem to value relievers pretty highly. Um, so they traded a uh, compensation pick for a reliever too, which seems to be, it seems to be anti, uh, looking toward the future, but they traded away a compensation pick for Brian Morris. I believe so. Yes. Wow. That is a lot to trade for Brian Morris. Brian Morris was part of like three players that they got for, oh man, who did they trade? They traded, they got Brian Morris from the Dodgers. Who do they? They got Brian Morris and Andy LaRoche from the Dodgers for who did this Pirates trade to the Dodgers? Anyway, which time? I think uh, that was uh, the Andrew. Was that um, was that in the Andrew Lambo deal? I don't know. Yeah, I think it was Lambo. Was it Lam- no? Ah, crud. Anyway, I like Brian Morris a little bit. I I, I noticed in, on our podcast last last year that you snuck Brian Morris in, and I. He may actually be better than AJ Ramos, so um, uh, you know, uh, mas fuerte. <laughs> I, I missed it somehow, but yeah, I, I I forgot. I did. I missed that Brian Morris acquisition. Any case, Sishek may not be traded. That's how they value relievers. Houston Street seems to have a, a cromulent guy right behind him in, in in Benoit, so you know maybe they get him. They also they're a veteran team. They went out and paid for Joe Nathan, even though they knew he was forty years old. And they 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 value these guys. They value the the experience and the old guy in the closer role. I mean, that's for whatever you know, reason. <laughs> it, it's it's been there. It's been there. What they've done in the past. I mean, they you know. So maybe Java Java can do it. Um, maybe he's worth picking up. But I'm not dropping. I'm definitely not dropping someone who's closing now for him. Would I drop? You know, one of my bottom my bottom closers are like Chad Qualls and 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 Hector Rondon. I don't think I'd drop them for Java because he's not a closer yet. If I have a, a, a situation where I'm I'm still holding on to Brian Shaw, yeah, I'll drop Brian Shaw for Java Chamberlain. That's better speculation. Certainly. Yeah, I, I, think I, wouldn't, I wouldn't drop Adam Adovino, which is a guy we've talked about. I wouldn't drop him for Chamberlain. Right. I, I mean, like, and even though the situation there, you, you one could say that has changed ever so slightly. Well, but, uh, brothers blew up the other day. Yeah. I don't know how many runs he gave up, but I just I looked in the box score and I was like, "Whoa, buddy! I think you just hurt yourself pretty big time." Because Adovino is still humming along, and they're both they're switching off seventh and eighth innings, and uh, and with Adovino being a righty, I think he's I think I agree he's next in line. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I mean, they 
speaking, I mean, just related to the Edder Butler move to the uh, to the uh, the promotion to the rotation, then the uh, Rockies. Uh, the reason for it was they sent Franklin Morales to the bullpen, and uh, I mean that just strictly gives them. I think it's their third lefty available in the bullpen, and just kind of makes you know. There's absolutely no reason that they have to reserve brothers for left-handed hitters now, but at the same time, performance matters, and and Ottavino still seems to have the edge decisively at this point there. Um, so he just he look he just looks like a future closer, and uh, that would be kind of exciting. Speaking of uh, exciting closers, but uh, who have not entirely been exciting this year, I think is Trevor Rosenthal. I mean, the, uh, he gave uh, he allowed a couple of inherited runners to score last night. And I was watching that. He just his I don't know if it's his command or just his I mean, his location seems to be pretty bad too. Um, just uh, and uh, it's really uh, I, I'd hate to say that this is you know this is I mean long term there may not really be an issue here but this is going on two months that he's really been um, kind of out of whack and and there's been speculation that the velocity is down just a little and things like that I don't know that that's necessarily a huge factor for him I mean it could be but um, it's still ninety six yeah yeah it's still good so I mean the question is is uh, I've seen plenty of uh, you know concern about this pop up and then say, well, the Cardinals really have no one else, but uh, they've obviously been really encouraged with the progress of Jason Mott as he returns from Tommy John surgery. And so, I mean, you have to think down the road, if these things pop up often enough, maybe that's a possibility, but how soon do you see that being a possibility if it is? It's definitely an issue. There's definitely something going on. You know, he's not getting the same reaches. So, you know, I don't know if people are sitting on something or, you know what it is but you know those reaches are important for him i think because he has a, a i would call nasty movement on the changeup. and if they're if they somehow if he's tipping his pitches or they just somehow know when the change is coming or they're just sitting uh, they're just not going to swing at the fast at the change up and only swing at the fastball perhaps because he's aiming for the middle of the zone and and you know, you know the command is not there i mean these are all reasons these are all reasons that I'm not sure of, and they're very hard to track. Uh, you know, I can't just go look at a number and say, <laughs> "Oh, well, that must be it." <laughs> that must be it. So, um, you know, and also, and also, what complicates the matters is that it's you know, when you're talking relievers, it's all small samples. Right now, it's 28 innings. You know, the rest of his career, Trevor Rosenthal's never had a walk rate above average. So. You know, this isn't something to be like, oh, you know, look, he in double A and in triple A, he had like a four walk rate and he was really struggling with it then. And this must be that coming back. I don't really see that there was much uh, reason, much reason to see this coming. And also, you know, this is the stabilization stuff is um, the stabilization. It's not stable. The walk rate, you know, the strikeout rate is pretty close to stable at about 150 batters faced. He must be uh, getting close to 100. But. Um, you know, that's not enough for walk rate. So it could just be a little blip. And, you know, Jason Mott has good sort of peripheral stuff, but, you know, a, a five, five, four, oh, you know, five walk, walks per nine and a, and a swinging strike rate that's half of what it was when he was. Doesn't really tell me he's ready to go. Not really the other way he used to be. And he's throwing the cutter almost twice as he did when he was when he was healthy. So I think there's something going on there, and I'm not um, I'm not sure that uh, Mott's banging down the door just now. Yeah, I think I mean the he's nowhere near having recovered the uh, the level of velocity that he was at prior to surgery, and he may never. Obviously, that's always a risk, but um, uh, clearly, you want to see see it be a lot closer and they were encouraged at times. I think I read on one or two occasions that there were uh, you know, reports that he had, had hit close to something, you know, 95, 96. Um, uh, but that doesn't, I mean, that's not where he's been sitting uh, in the majors yet. And uh, also, I mean, it's, I mean, he's kind of right on track to recover, but we've seen this with a number of guys, uh, especially relievers who come back from Tommy John surgery. I mean, starters obviously don't come back this this soon and become members of the rotations usually, but uh, at least in my experience and what I recall, I mean, relievers has been uh, a number of them who have dealt with this surgery, and then uh, they come back because it's per, it's perceivably um, something that it's just. Uh, 
something that relievers can come back from a little more quickly. Uh, but then you see them, uh, whether they have some kind of really dead period, uh, whether it's a dead arm or uh, they have some kind of setback, break up a scar tissue and things like that. Uh, that I mean, so I mean, Mott has yet to really encounter anything like that. And that's, that's something that could easily be coming, I think, or even if it's not where the performance is just not anywhere near what it was uh, pre-surgery. It doesn't mean that he won't get there, but uh, that it could be, it's an, that is an unpredictable road, I think. So, um, yeah, I think it's, it's, uh, at least for now, it doesn't really look like the Cardinals have, uh, have any significant alternatives. It just is, uh, I think if you're a Rosenthal owner, going to have to suck it up. Yeah, Carlos Martinez, you know, still gets the good grounders, but he still has a bad platoon split, and it may not, you know, if they wanted to go rugi loogie there, they could maybe try something with Manus, but that just that doesn't that doesn't sound like them. They're not going to do, you know, oh, Trevor Rosenthal, the guy who's throwing ninety six and has blown two saves this year, we're going to take him out of the role for a rugi loogie combination. <laughs> I, I, you know, I don't think that's what's that's what's in their future. So, you know, if Mott really uh, you know, if Mott really turns it on and we start to see something better out of him, I get more worried, but not yet. Yeah, and um, I think it's important to remember uh, that they do have Randy Choate, uh, a.k.a. your namesake. <laughs> so don't rule that out completely. But anyway, oh, <laughs> and speak, speaking of left-handers, uh, just somebody, just a question I haven't – maybe this has popped up somewhere else, uh, but I think – I mean – he does not fit the profile. I don't think that this is something you would look at in the long term. But do you think Zach Britton has performed well enough in the closer's role uh, to at least uh, – I mean, at minimum, uh, the Orioles have no reason to push Hunt, Tommy Hunter back into the role immediately upon his return. But do you think he's done enough to uh, put himself in consideration for save chances uh, even when Hunter comes back? Um, I guess so. I do think so. I do think so. Normally, teams, I think, prefer to have strikeout guys. But, you know, Hunter has, you know, I think there's something about Baltimore and the weather and the fact, I mean, it's, I'm saying, I, I manage, I, I say that it's the weather, but um, what I mean is the park factors there. Baltimore is the, the homer happiest park in the majors, actually, I think. And it's also the warmest park in the majors. So, uh, so that I think that they may look at things a little bit through that prism. Tommy Hunter gives up a lot of fly balls, gives up a lot of homers, especially the lefties. He's got platoon splits of his own. So even if, if Britain has platoon splits based on the fact that he's kind of a sinker slider guy, he's, he's, not, he's not necessarily any worse off than Tommy Hunter, who also has platoon splits. And he gets an insane amount of ground balls. I don't know, you know, 80% is probably not going to happen all year, but it's, it's, it's like a young Jim Johnson. So yeah, and they did Jim Johnson. I mean, yeah, I, that's I, what I was going to say. That's <laughs> the precedent thing. That's so small sample and like, ah, they did that, but they did it before. Yeah. So, uh, I, I think, uh, I actually have switched over and I think it's Britain. I think it'll be Britain the rest of the year. Well, and I think, yeah, I mean, that's, I was, I was thinking, I mean, I was kind of leaning that way myself. I think that's a good possibility. And uh, for all the reasons you cited, I mean, the because now that he's, I mean, this is really, this is really the first time I think he's ever been used as a reliever. And they, it wasn't something that they necessarily thought before that they could do with him because he maybe thought maybe he took a, lot, a while to get warmed up and things like that. They didn't think his uh, stuff fit as a pitcher out of the bullpen, but probably... Um, I think because he can go full out on the sinker and things like that, it's not not like he's experienced. Uh, I mean, oh, he has. He's actually had quite a, a notable velocity increase there. And that's, um, I mean, that can result in a number of things. Obviously, it, that could be a contributing factor, I think, to um, such a heavy ground ball rate. I mean, 7.2% fly balls is, <laughs> it's hard to hit a home run against this guy. Uh, and that's probably the the easiest way to it is to force him to blow a save or to force a closer to blow a save is is uh, to make that happen. So, I mean, it's it, it so far it's been a really good recipe for success. And uh, at minimum, yeah, I think he's in the conversation. Uh, just a couple of guys I wanted to mention real quick. Obviously, this is a guy that the the Angels think um, is a potential closer of the future, and it doesn't seem like it's it's going to have uh, you know he's going to factor in anytime soon. It could easily be optioned anytime soon. Is Cam- but they they called up Cameron Mendrosian, uh 
have no interest. I mean, there's no need, I don't think, for him to pitch at the AAA level. Uh, and has really had fantastic numbers uh, in the minor leagues. Um, uh, probably will work middle innings for quite some time for them. But uh, any impressions about him? I know people have been waiting for this for a while, and he just blew up the minor leagues. I mean, he has a lot of strikeouts down there. No real uh, cause for concern. Nice. I love small sample stuff like he's got a uh, 23% swinging strike rate right now <laughs> in in one inning. So um, anyway, uh, I I think that there's a, a sort of a, a potential for – uh, maybe, uh, maybe a Dallin Batances kind of um, uh, break, like a, a sort of break-in period where he's doing high leverage but middle inning. Um, but uh, when it comes to the, the info that we've got on him, um, looks like a ninety-six percent, ninety-six mile an hour, ninety-five to ninety-six mile an hour fastball features mostly a slider. Um, and, uh, you know, so far the slider hasn't had the greatest whip rates, but I don't know how much he needs to, to show it when he's throwing that, that hard. So, uh, you know, there's, there is an outside chance that Freire, um blows up yet again and, uh, and, and finds a way out of it. But I think that Bedrosian will have to get his feet under him first. Um, so just a name to stash, I think. Yeah, for sure. And one final note in the bullpens, in case you missed it, uh, the Cubs designated Jose Veras for assignment, and basically that means that they have totally given up on the idea of a veteran ever planning his rear in the closer's chair uh, and, and stealing uh, or uh, making, I guess, some of the young relievers behind him, uh, behind the closer, uh, you know, continuing to make those guys cheaper. So, I mean, I think at this game, at, at this point, um, Obviously, Hector Rondon leads the leads the chase. Uh, which other relievers? I mean, between there's possibilities and Neil Ramirez. Obviously, he's a really attractive one. At least I, I think uh, there's Pedro Strope has been mentioned at times. Justin Grimm and even James Russell as a left-hander. Uh, but which of those do you think is worth uh, holding uh, for as long as possible to see if uh, you know at least in the only leagues to see if those guys. Uh, ever come into saves because it's certainly not necessarily Rondon's job for the rest of the year. I guess I guess it would be Neil Ramirez. Um, you know, he's he's obviously got the strikeouts minus walks, which is first place I always look. He's got 94 mile an hour velocity. He's got three pitches, so you know he may be immune to some platoon splits. Um, there's been some command problems in the minors, but right now he's, he's doing well with that. And uh, he'll be with the team in the future, so uh, I, I think Rondon might only be on a, on a one-year deal. I have to check that, but um, yeah, I think that uh, uh, Ramirez is the guy. Strope's Strope just, the, the command is just terrible, and uh, it, I just I just don't think, I think he's got the velocity, but he doesn't have um anything else <laughs> yeah i think at his age he's uh, he's kind of proven that he's not somebody that's going to be a long term you know, it's not somebody who's automatically going to enter the conversation for the cubs or even anyone else necessarily he's given he's been given a lot of chances yeah uh i do want to check here real quick i do think rondon's status next year with the team is somewhat interesting and i'm seeing that oh he's under team control so, uh, if Rondon keeps doing what he's doing, there's no real reason for him to give up the role. But uh, it's, it is interesting that, you know, the Cubs had an Astros-like bullpen, um, you know, not too long ago. And now they've, uh, they've got two guys that could close, probably, and uh, are under team control for a long time. So, uh, well done. Indeed. And speaking of the Astros, um, their shortstop is tearing it up. And by that, I mean uh, tearing up your fantasy team if he's still in your lineup. <laughs> Jonathan Villar, VR, I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce it. Maybe it just depends um, in which language you're talking about him in. But uh, uh, 193, 260, 355 slash line this season. A um, little bit of an ISO. But, I mean, the 
I'm not sure why this is. He's hit five home runs, and maybe that has something to do with uh, a strikeout problem. But he's always had a strikeout problem, and uh, I think this was this was a reason I was just the the ability to make contact consistently is is a reason I was really hesitant to. I mean, I didn't end up drafting him in any leagues. Um, I was willing to take him as kind of a consolation prize at the end. Hey, if he does it again, and it's great stolen bases, but. at this point, I mean, I, I would have to think, I mean, there's already been some talk about it, that his, his playing time is definitely in jeopardy. And uh, it's just a question of uh, how soon is it because what do they look at that as their alternatives? Uh, what do you what do you see shaking out there? What do you see as a potential speculation? They've got Marlon Gonzalez, minor leagues, as a glove guy. They really thought this was – the problem is that they're not really competitive. So what do they care? They're not going to bring in Marvin Gonzalez is, is is a guy that could play shortstop for the Tigers. You know what I mean? He's a guy who wouldn't embarrass himself if uh, uh, bat eight and, uh, and and not really help in any other way, and maybe be slightly above replacement. So they give VR a little bit more of a shot, and uh, it's just countdown to Carlos Correa. And Carlos Correa is you know advancing like he should be, and I think he'll be, uh, I, before I make a mistake here, I'm going to check this out, but I think he'll be in double-A shortly uh, if he's not there yet. Let's see. He's not there yet, but I think he'll be in double-A shortly. I mean, he's now ripped up both A-balls to the tune of uh, over 320 at both, 400 on base percentage, good walk rates, near 500 slugging in both play, both cases. Um, you know, at, in both in both A balls, 24 stolen bases combined. So, you know, I think Korea is very exciting, and I think you know, he'll be in Double A by the end of this year, and he'll be in the majors by next year. So, VR is just the guy that came before Carlos Korea. Yeah, um, I think. I mean, I've seen projections that have him, you know, somewhere, you know, de- debuting by sometime in 2016, and I got, and I, I would have thought that that was reasonable before I got to know a lot more about Korea. I think, I mean, watching him hit, for instance, in spring training, um, I mean, it was a marvel to watch. He look, uh, I mean, it was uh, he's he's a, a an incredibly talented looking hitter, and uh, I think he's kind of developed a little more physically than I remember when he was drafted, um, and I think it's really really helped him quite a bit. Uh, he's a really intriguing player. And, at the, yeah, at some point, uh, I don't see why he's not on track to debut at some point next season. So I guess uh, for VR owners, uh, stolen bases uh, uh, at the at the risk of something else uh, are yours. Uh, and, uh, you know, hopefully you have a bunch of guys who hit 300 on your team to balance that out uh, in case they do continue to play him and he continues at 200. Um I, I, he's a punt batting average guy. Yeah, <laughs> yes, uh, I think that uh, he is definitely helping you if that was your strategy. <laughs> yeah. Wait, I should get him in 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 labor then. I'm <laughs> punt batting average. Uh, and uh, we have a couple of, a couple of items we want to get to for things uh, by request. Uh, specifically, wanted to talk a little bit about Justin Smoke, so I'll allow you to uh, to discuss uh, some things about him. Yeah, this I'm 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 sorry uh, to the person who submitted. They submitted two pieces uh, of con- for consideration for the podcast like last week, and I I just sort of lost that in whatever my life has become. Um, I'll blame it on moving, and uh, I I don't know that I have an answer for him that'll be super exciting, other than the fact that you know for for whatever reason. And what's funny is that this year I used to blame it on the fact that. Smoke hit a lot of gra- uh, fly balls, and he hit a lot of fly balls in in Seattle, and that would be you know what his why his batting average on balls in play is so low, and why you know he's destined to be you know a two thirty hitter at best the rest of his career. This year he's actually hitting more ground balls than fly balls uh, for the first time in his career, but you know he's still pretty much the same guy, and uh, I think that the, you just have to go by the splits. He's not very good against <laughs> I forgot which one it is. I think yeah, yeah. He's not very good against lefties. No, it's righties. Oh no, that's bad. Let me see here. I gotta do the career splits. Can't look at single season splits. They're not useful. Alright, here we go. Advanced stat. Yeah, okay. So he's good against righties. He's basically league average against righties. 
has a 226, 320, 394 uh, career line against them. I think that describes him. He's a 230 hitter uh, with a little bit of power, the kind of guy that will be gone the minute that they have a better situation at first. Surprising that he's not gone, considering they could have had Kendrys Morales, which is another, which is, you know, evidence number 550 that Kendrys Morales is a DH. Mm-hmm. But in any case, uh, and then, the, you know, his home away splits, I think, are also instructive. Uh because uh, he, I think his BABIP is really low at home. Yes, 240, 240 range, and 280 so, on the road. Yeah, so, you know, I have him in smoke as his corner infielder. I just figured that everybody else would be hurt or, you know, old or whatever, and they'd, they'd still be running him out there. And, hey, look, they're still running him out there. But when you're talking about, you know, anything shallower, uh, the best – the best I'd use for him is in a daily league where I could slot him in against righties on the road. Rejoice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been uh it's been a long road for, for Smoke and, and yeah, considering I mean I'm I was very surprised that Seattle didn't do a lot of things before the season began. Um just because they could have done any one of them. Uh but I mean considering that they ought also traded for Logan Morrison and signed Corey Hart, also guys who can play first base and Maybe they don't view any of those guys. I mean, understandably, perhaps with Hart, long-term, they hope he plays in right field. But uh, Morrison, I think he's proven on more than enough occasion that uh, he's not an outfielder. Uh, I mean, he's he's okay, maybe. Like he gets, I mean, he's, he's better than Ryan Zimmerman. Yeah. <laughs> but. Things have changed a little bit for Morrison since the knee injury, I think. I think that they've heard, they've heard him a little bit at the plate, too. But Yeah. You know, not surprising to see Logan Morrison hurt again. Yeah. Uh, another another reader just uh, hoped you could provide a little insight. This is more of an educational bit, uh, but just wanted to quick. So we can just touch on this quickly. I wanted to hear um, uh, clarify some things about swinging strike percentages for individual pitches. He um, wanted to know where he could find those things, uh, and also um, what the different league averages are for each of each of the pitches. Um, and uh, ooh, we can get into some and see other uh, other things too. But like for instance, what is a good or bad swinging strike percentage for each of the pitches? And, uh, you know, what is uh, and and uh, what are and if you could def- define the the pitch values and the pitch value, this is one I'm not even sure of the pitch value uh, per C. I'm not sure of what that even stands for. So I guess it's a good uh, education lesson for me as well. But. Uh, <laughs> Um, well, the easiest place to find uh, uh, the per pitch mm-hmm. metrics is on our pitch FX uh, tab on on every pitcher's page. Um, and what's nice about that is you can also get ground ball rate um, there, and you can get some movement stuff. But um, you know, I'm looking at Shelby Miller right now, just for the hell of it. Uh, his curveball gets a 53% ground, 54% ground ball rate um, in 2012. 2013, that went down to 43.9, and this year that's 21.9. So uh, that's right there is an interesting thing. That's uh, that's bad. Went from sort of normalish good to, to normalish bad to bad. Uh, so something's going on with this curveball. People are putting it in the air. It's probably leading to home runs, um, and maybe he's just hanging curveballs. So uh, when you look for uh, ground ball rates, you, you're looking for – somewhere between 45 and 50% for change-ups and, and curveballs uh, and sliders. I think just generally, in, in general, breaking stuff, um, you want to have over 45%. Uh, change-ups, you want to have over 50%. Um, and sinkers, you want to have over 50%. So that's your sort of general uh, rule of thumb for ground ball rates. Um, then you, you zoom down a little bit further, and then the last um, section of the pitch FX thing, you've got swing strike rate. Um, you see that Shelby Miller's swing strike rate on the curveball went from 11% to 7% last year to 6% this year. Um, and the average for a curveball is 11%. So he went from average uh, with his curveball to below average to even more below average. So something's going on with his curveball, and that's his, that's his big pitch. So um, the only thing that I can say is that he got his cutter up to – 11% this year, which is a good good sign because that's about average for a cutter. Um, and the easiest thing I can tell you 
if you want a rule of thumb, is 15%. 15% for breaking pitches is a decent swinging strike rate. Um, it's the same for change-ups and sliders. You have to remember the curve a little bit less. The curve's around 11%. Um, and then a good fastball gets over 7% whiffs. So uh, last year, Shelby Miller got 10% whiffs on, this, on the fastball, which is great. This year, it's 6.5%. So th- there we're talk about what's, what's wrong with Shelby Miller. Um, in any case, yeah, I have a piece up there right now. If you search for my name plus benchmarks, uh, benchmarks for pitch types, you'll see my ground ball ones and, my, and the swing strike ones. Outstanding. And uh, what can you tell us just real quickly about the uh, the value metrics um, uh, for for pitches? Guess who's? I would just avoid those. Um, they're kind of misleading sometimes. What they measure is what happens on that pitch. So uh, basically, if you've got they, they can be they can be sort of instructive on a general level. So now I'm looking at Shelby Miller. We've been talking about how his curveball has sucked. Um, let me look at his pitch type values on it. Yeah, the way I always thought of them was kind of um, they give you an idea of where to start when you start looking at the pitching splits by pitch, maybe. Yes, a lot of times, um, yeah, because if you do look at a career or, or a couple of years, you'll see, oh, this guy's got a great curveball. He's got, you know, he's got great values every year. So, um, you know, if you look at Shelby Miller's line for his career, his best pitches are his fastball and his curveball. And this year, his curveball has sucked. It has a minus 5.5 where it's been, you know, over, over zero. And I don't, the, the, the number is less important to me because fastballs are always going to be much higher because they throw them more often. And so, you know, what I want to see is over and under zero because there's kind of an average thing going on there. But the problem is, look at R.A. Dickey's page, and his fastball grades out as way above average. And the problem is uh, that the reason it grades above average is because he throws his knuckler 80% of the time, and when people see a fastball, it surprises them. So, they, you know, there's a sequence in the issue going on there. It's all about balls in play. It's very hard. It doesn't really... I'd rather I'd rather you told me the swing strike rate and the ground ball rate for a pitch than you told me the pitch type value because the pitch type value there's all sorts of things that go into it. Um, but in a general way, I do use it sometimes to sort. Like if you let me do this real quick. If I if I go to the leaderboard um, and I, and I sort by I, I use it to kind of um, find to group pitchers. It's kind of like wins above replacement. You know, I'd, I don't talk about wins replacement. Replace, I don't talk about, like, oh, Felix Hernandez has a, a 3.2 and Corey Kluber has a 2.7. Or, or Corey Kluber has a 2.7 war and John Lester has a 2.5 war, so Corey Kluber is better. You know, I, that's not how I use war, so it's not how I would use uh, pitch values either. But uh, I could say those guys are maybe in the same class. You might be surprised to hear that. They might be in the same class. And so, therefore, when I sort... Uh, change-ups, I get the top five change-ups by pitch type value are Steven Strasburg, Felix Hernandez, Johnny Cueto, John Danks, and Michael Waka. That's, that's, those are your change-up guys. That's, that makes sense to me. So, uh, you know, I'm not going to necessarily say, um, you know, Johnny Cueto's change-up is better than John Danks' change-up because of, you know, because he's got a better pitch type value. But I will, I can group them together that way. Yes, and thank you very much for that uh, thorough explanation. You can always find more, uh, especially in the in the guts areas or the guts areas and all that stuff. I think uh, there. I think is I'm sorry. Guts is big. The glossary is big. This yes. is definitely a good place to start. Yeah, um, and uh, that way we do have a just a couple of uh, players to mention quickly, specifically that because uh, I think it was it was a little unclear, at least to me, it was uh, when Carlos Beltran might return, but he is uh, scheduled to be activated today. I'm not I'm not sure even when the Yankees play, so he may have already been activated, but uh, looks like he's I mean, he'll be back in the lineup and uh, recovering from bone spurs on the elbow. So right now he has avoided surgery. What do you think the long term outlook for this? Is? Well. Relatively speaking, so what do you think the rest of the season outlook is for this? <laughs> yeah, there's not a lot of long term. I'm not doing a five year projection, of course. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, I think he's uh, he's a, a really good player. I've I've had a lot of admiration for him. 
for his career and what he's done. And, um, you know, I think he's underappreciated and I think he's a great player. I think he's nearing the end of his career and he's going to be, you know, decent when he's in. Today he went 0 for 3 with two strikeouts. The strikeouts are, you know, are probably going to become a problem as he gets older and the bat speed slows. So I, I would, I would probably push down my batting average projections down below uh, some of his better years and, and call him maybe a 250, 260 hitter with like 20 homer power, um, you know, and a couple of DL stints a year for the next couple of years. So. You know that's uh, that's useful in a lot of leagues, and with the batting average around the league down and power down, you know he's definitely useful. I just don't think he's a star anymore. Yeah, he's definitely not. And uh, I mean, I guess I don't know all the medical uh, ins and outs of his injury at this stage, uh, but I suppose there's always a chance that this becomes bad enough where they say, you know what, this is no longer. It affects his performance enough to where they say, you know, this is no longer worth it. We thought it might be worth a shot. Um, do you th- do you think that's a good possibility? Or do you think it is a possibility, legitimately? Was that he gets that he has to? That they just go ahead and say shelf and we'll shelf him for the rest of the season. Uh, yeah, I, you know, probably tied to to how they're doing in the standings a little bit, and uh, surprisingly, they're not doing that well in the standings. Or I don't know, it's not that surprising to me, but <laughs> but they're 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 not. Uh, they're falling behind in the in the division and stuff, and I'm not sure that they have the assets um, in their farm system to to go get a guy like Samarja or or Price or something. And I don't know that Price would be traded in the division anyway. So uh, I think they kind of need pitching. Um, they need a little bit of help everywhere, and they just don't really have what it takes. I think they'll they'll do okay this year, round 500, and they'll be happy that they found Solarte. And they'll be happy that they that the Tanaka's working out, and uh, they'll they'll try to reload again next year. Yeah, for sure. And uh, that might that might include uh, yeah surgery for Beltran. Yes, yeah, I could definitely see that being a possibility. And uh, and there's yeah, there's a number of there are a number of at least uh, things that they can say. This is you know this could be a good year as far as the fines that we've come across. Uh, right. And uh, and they don't include Kelly Johnson. Um, <laughs> just some notes uh, there's been confirmation of course that Matt, Matt Cain will in fact be returning to the rotation for the Giants on Friday uh, Andrew Kashner in fact will be back uh, on Saturday has been confirmed both have come out of throwing sessions without any issues and that's obviously encouraging news um, anything you would like to add on their uh, returns Oh, happy to have cash back. Hopefully, he can uh, throw that nice knuckle slider. I love watching that. Yes. Uh, and speaking of a player that the Yankees might be, I mean, this is it's a, this is a totally depleted farm system. Um, so there's really not necessarily much to uh, to put in this. But I know I know Jose Ramirez has been one of their top prospects for the last couple of years, um, and this is a guy that they called up to put in their bullpen. He did give up. Uh, I think it was the the game winning or go ahead home run uh, to the A's last night or the night before. They all blur together for me these days. But um, and uh, I mean, he's in. Does this player provide any intrigue to you at all uh, down the road? I mean, I think initially he's always been projected as a starting pitcher, and they bought him up just for some bullpen depth. I thought, but uh, perhaps he's he's made the conversion to reliever. I don't know. Oh gosh, I just realized that somebody in my chat today was asking about Jose Ramirez. And I, and I just assumed that they were talking about the batter. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. I I would just uh, just be honest and tell you I don't know that much about Jose Ramirez. Um, you know, I I was all preparing in my head to, to answer a question about the, the second baseman for the <laughs> Indians. <laughs> but, uh, it, I mean, just looking at it, I, I'm interested in a guy that can put up strikeout numbers like that. Looks like some walk issues and... You know, we'll have to we'll have to learn more about him in the future. Yeah, and he's I mean, he's made all of his appearances out of the bullpen this year at the Triple A level. Um, I mean, he's still pretty young, twenty four. So um, they'll need somebody, I think, to take over Batanza's role when maybe Batanza's takes over uh, David Robertson's role. I, yes, I I, I doubt, you know there's something there's something that says to me that they're going to fall in love with Batanza's this year. And that Roberts may finish the year as a closer, but uh, Robertson may finish the year as a closer, but not necessarily be what they want to spend their money on next year. 
Yes, I could definitely see that. Yes. And perhaps Ramirez is then a guy who kind of slots in behind some of these guys next year as well. Yeah. All right. Uh, I think that, that pretty much does it for uh, you know all the main topics we've uh, had to discuss. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna turn turn it over to Eno real quick. Is there's been a couple of players that you you wanted to discuss for a bit? Is there anybody in particular you would like to go into uh, just for uh, the listeners' sake and also to satisfy your own Jones? Uh, forget now. We've had this list of of, of running players to talk about. Uh, we could start yeah. with, uh, let's start with, well. Well, maybe Cole Calhoun? Yes, yeah, we could start with him. The one, you know, it's funny how cyclical things are. Cole Calhoun was nobody, and then he came up and, um, you know, was pretty good last year and showed some power and speed and had a nice batting average. And so then, you know, he was somebody, and then he tanked a lot of that stuff and now he's nobody again and it's like my i feel like my opinion of him has been about the same all the way throughout which is pretty good player you know probably not a tweener probably a starter maybe not a first division starter was old for his levels in the minor leagues will never be as good as some of his minor league promise suggested because he was old and he was playing in some really nice hitters parks um but if you're going to value him too low based on the fact that he has no scouting pedigree and he's struggling right now and blah, 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 then I'm going to like him better than you. So he's the kind of guy that I'm going to like worse than some people and better than other people. Yeah, that sounds fair. I mean, I think, uh, I mean, he's a player who uh, was kind of not really high on my radar. And then I thought, wow, this is, uh, I mean, spurred kind of by what he displayed last season. I was like, oh, maybe this is a, this is kind of a, considerably underrated prospect at least in terms of uh, like you said there are a number of reasons to be a little i don't want to say skeptical but uh to you know to have some doubt about the quality of his numbers at each of his levels and so i think that there's i'm kind of the same way i, I think that there's i mean there's enough potential there where he's he, i mean he's he's kind of 15 10 to maybe maybe even 2015 i mean i think he has some decent power uh in uh, a better ballpark, I think it would sh- it would be uh, it would show up a lot a little more easier. But that's kind of my uh, my summation of him. I think that he he's and in and some of those years, some of the years down the road here in the you know, in the short term, I think he's got the ability to to be a really nice fantasy player. But certainly is not like a an automatic in a twelve team mixed league or something like that where he's you know he's one of your top three or four guys. You know what he's reminding me of right now? Uh, just just looking at his numbers and trying not to think about the name on it is David Murphy. And I think there's actually maybe a little bit more to that comp because David Murphy is a left-handed sort of tweener outfielder in that he's not really a center fielder. But some of his stats look like maybe they should be a center fielder. Uh, David Murphy, I think, is a little bit older. He's coming up. And um, and David Murphy is nobody's idea of, of, a, of a great, you know, um, you know, pick up for fantasy. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, he's humming along this year and he's doing fine. He's going to give you 15. He's going to give you somewhere between like 12 and 18 homers and he's going to give you more than five steals. And it, and for what it's worth, that's that's about average, actually, um, for an outfielder slot in, in mixed leagues. And, and people want to poo-poo that, but I think, if I remember correctly, the average outfielder is something like 275, 18, and 8. So... We're talking about two guys that could be your average outfielder. That's not; they're not going to cost you much. You know, the, the, what I'm looking up right now are the platoon splits for uh, Calhoun, just because uh, Murphy, you know, is a doesn't pretty much sits against lefties, and you know, you don't want to really play him against lefties. So I want to see if that holds through for for Calhoun, and uh, not really. His uh, his strikeout rate got worse, and his walk rate got worse. Like I was talking about earlier in the show. Um, but uh, they both are still above average in the minor leagues. So um, I would say that there's just only a tiny bit of worry that he's a a platoon player. It looks like they're platooning him a little bit. Um, Still, uh, even if that's true, uh, definitely love him as like a sort of util, extra bench bat kind of guy that I can slide in against righties, um, especially righties on the road. Just in general, I think just nice to have a guy 
And, and for what it's worth, I don't think necessarily the strikeout rate is going to stick where it is right now. You have to remember that his sample is smaller because he was hurt and, uh, and you know, might take him a little while to get going. So uh, I still like him. Yeah, yeah. And I think, yeah, it's, it's important to remember. I mean, uh, he's kind of, he's always, I think he has a really nice, um, the ball off his bat is, it's a, it's a really hard, I mean, I think he hits the ball hard. Uh, and so, like, for instance, there's definitely a lot of room for the BABIP to increase. It's kind of something he's always done in the minor leagues is hit for an eye average on balls and play. Um, and I think he's I think he's a shade better in a lot of the – in, like, uh, a number of categories, um, shade better than Murphy, such as – I mean, I think he, he certainly – the evidence is there that he draws walks a little more often. I mean, he's like a, it's like a slightly better version. I like the comp a lot. I mean, it seems like – but I think he could be a slightly better version of him in the sense that I think he has a little more power – little more speed, a little more ability to draw the walks, which helps the opportunities for, to, to run and things like that. So um, for those who poo-poo Murphy, uh, if you start poo-pooing Calhoun, you really got a problem and we might have to duke it out. <laughs> I think I think we'll leave the rest on our list uh, of backups. Also, you know, let us know either in the comments section or on Twitter what you uh, if you've got a question, and uh, I'll do a better job of, of noting it and, and – and putting it on our list for the for the uh, for the show. Yes, I'll be happy to add it, uh, and we're happy to answer any of your questions. Thank you all for joining us again. This is episode number one twenty five of the Sleeper and the Bust. Thank you very much, and uh, continued success to our listeners. Yes, good luck. Boom.